Welcome to Europarama, a podcast series about science fiction and the future of Europe. My name is Giuseppe Porcaro, and I'm the author of Discos Hour, a novel about Europe and democracy in the age of algorithms. At Europarama, we use science fiction to explore multiple narratives for the future of Europe and storytelling as a tool to create spaces for a European imagination. In this episode, we will explore the unlikely journey of 13 scientists that embarked in a storytelling adventure to describe the future in 2040. Why should it be unscientific to think about the future? Why shouldn't we be allowed to take a critical scientific stance in thinking about the future? I think there is no contradiction in being scientific and turning towards the future, towards what is not yet known. Wouldn't be it scientific in the best sense of the word if researchers examined utopias and investigated with the best available knowledge why they cannot be true? Using those results, we could create the best possible world, a car popper turned toward the future we would have a sort of prospective method of falsification that would turn peer review to peer preview. We are going to explore these questions and much more together with our guests today. Let me introduce you Bronen Deacon, who is a research assistant at the Alexander von Humboldt Institute for Internet and Society in Berlin, uh, and, uh, which, uh, and she's a member of the research program Knowledge and Society. Hello Bronen, how are you? Hello. I'm very well. Thanks for having us. And sitting together with Bronan in Berlin, we also have Isabella Herman from the Berlin Brandenburg Academy of Sciences and Humanities, where she is uh, a researcher and scientific coordinator on artificial intelligence. Hi, Isabella. Hi. And with me in Brussels, there is Gianluca Sgueo, who is a policy analyst at the EU Parliament and also a professor at the New York University Global Media Seminar. Ciao Gianluca, come stai? Bene, hi, hi everybody. So, Bronwen, Isabella and Gianluca all participated in an unlikely experiment in science communication and a book, among many other things, called 2040. A few months ago, when I first heard about the project, it looked to me very Europarama. And the funny thing is that they also thought of the same. But rather than me explaining you, I want to ask Bronan directly, who is one of the coordinators of the projects, what is 2040? Yes, thank you, Giuseppe. So 2040 started as an international essay competition over one year ago. And the idea was to give researchers and thinkers from all over the world a platform to imagine future scenarios on how a digital society will, or let's say, might look like 20 years from now. And as our research program, Knowledge and Society, centers around questions on how science and society interact, science communication plays a very important role, and 2040 is, so to say, an experiment in science communication. That is because we ask researchers to think of utopias, so positive future scenarios for a digital society, 
which is even harder thinking of science fiction and how digital future is often portrayed in a more dystopian way. Um, and they were also asked to tell their scenarios in any form they wish to. So by doing that, we challenged two things at once. First, re researchers are not used to imagine the future. And second, they are not used to write unscientific text um, and tell stories or even talk to non-research researchers, but rather only to researchers in their own domain. Um, and to wrap this up a little, the participants had to submit their stories to one out of five categories we decided on beforehand. So we had live, love, rule, work and learn as important pillars of our society. Um, and out of almost 100 abstracts, we decided on 13 ideas and carried on working together with these authors. Um, and that implied a working camp outside of Berlin with two different coaches. So another very unusual working situations for our authors. But it worked. And now we have 13 very different stories that we put together and made a book out of and many more things. Well, this is this is quite fascinating, I think, and 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 daring. So, above all, how how did you came up with the idea really to use science fiction? I mean, among other kind of uh, possible scenarios that you could have used uh, in science communication, I I I think it's it's quite um, it's quite original of, of of your project. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's exactly the po point to think of different formats and ways of transforming um, scientific research and also like to find a way to reach a broader society. Because as I said, researchers, researchers tend to stay in their bubble or not being able to um, communicate uh, differently about their findings and their research. So we thought... Yeah, having like an experiment like this could also be a different way for the audience to get involved with um, research and scientific evidence, but also for the researchers themselves to um, yeah experience another way of talking about their work. So <clears throat> I'm turning to Gianluca here first, and, and then I, I would like to hear also from Isabella the same. Uh, how did it feel to switch from, from writing academic papers to storytelling and using science fiction as a methodology? Well, to me, that wasn't... Uh, the tricky part, I, uh, I enjoy the job of the, the work of researcher, both in the parliament and the, in the academia, precisely because I like to write. And I've been writing, without publishing, a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with academia. Uh, I have a couple of books that are in my computer about fantasy. For example, I'm, I'm passionate about fantasy. So this, to me, was a nice opportunity to see if I, for the first time, uh, translate something that I've been I had been researching and writing in an academic fashion uh, into uh, a new format that is the one of uh, science fiction. And to be honest, it was quite a smooth process. I, I enjoyed it. I didn't find any particular difficulty. I didn't find it that I was missing something. I was actually trying to 
transmit the, the concept that I had explained from an academic perspective, uh, from another perspective, the one of uh, a novelist, which is obviously very different. So, in short, it was enjoyable and definitely not uh, problematic from my point of view. And Isabella, for you, how was that process? Yeah, different um, than Gianluca. I have never written proper stories before. And my contribution to 2040 is also rather a future history than a, a, a proper story with characters. So actually it was a bit easier because it's in style of a factual text. But I am familiar with more relaxed formats like blogs. And I think it's not so untypical for academics right now to write in a bit more easier format. So I think this is getting more and more popular. But I've always been a science fiction fan. Or actually, I do research also in the genre of science fiction. So the genre per se was not um, new to me at all. And um, I mean, funny enough, I'm also involved in another project on global politics in the 22nd century. <laughs> so this is not 20 years in the future, like 2040, but 100 years in the future. And Giuseppe is also part of that, right? Yes, right. And um, this also... So my text in this other project is also about AI and optimization, like in uh, 2040, but even more in the future. So it builds on that. So I have kind of a proper world building going on in two texts right now. So, yeah, it kind of... You have a world Netflix Netflix series ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. I hope I hope I can sell it. (laughs) (laughs) And 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 uh, Bronwyn, I I was curious uh, about the other authors. I mean, is it, was there happening anything specific or like uh, something memorable during during this uh, this process that uh, it's worth mentioning? Uh, you know, like something that uh, an anecdote uh, of, of a researcher that was totally lost or that I don't know, like inspirational block and stuff like that, and doing something crazy. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think a lot of lot of the authors were not as familiar with with the writing stories or being so connected to science fiction as maybe Gianluca and Isabella are. Because um, I I can remember like hearing the question over and over again at Klein Klein Glean where we had our writing camp that they asked like do we really don't have to use quotes and <laughs> signs? And it really, like the, it really needed to click for them to be like more open and write without the rules they know from academia life. And also um, the freedom of writing in different styles or thinking about, I don't know, like thinking about different formats. I remember one having trouble to tell um, yeah, to, to, to tell the story he wanted to tell until the point he understood that he could make up characters and uh, implement a dialogue and then he could like tell a lot more than only describing something from, from a more um, yeah, point of view that is not portrayed. Prote- portrayed uh, through um, through the, the characters so a, w- a whole new universe opened up to him you know like yeah. you you can yeah. invent you can invent full words so, and you yes, can be really in the, you, you you can have a point of view that is uh, 
you know, from, yeah, from anyone else and not just like this external observer uh, called scientific uh, and, and third person. Yeah, you could really see and feel a development from being stuck and maybe even a little bit unsure to finally open up and enjoying So, yeah, oh, that's really nice to see. Let's go a little bit more in the substance because uh, you, there's on these 13 stories. I mean, of course, we cannot go through each of them in this episode, but uh, having uh, both Isabella and Gianluca with, with me, uh, I would like to, um, I would like to uh, have a look a little bit more on the substance of their ideas for the future and especially linking to our core team which is the future of Europe I would like to to first of all uh, introduce um, the, the ideas of Isabella because she's been working on artificial intelligence and the future of regulation on artificial intelligence which is something that is very hyped at this very moment when it comes to you, the European policy sphere uh, very recently uh, uh, the European uh, Vice President uh, Margaret Vestager uh, released uh, her the, the, a strategy for Europe uh, on, on the AI uh, there is a data strategy which has just been released as well and many more to come in, in that space so it's the The conversation there, it's, uh, it's pretty dense on what should be the role of public institutions in ensuring on one hand, you know, innovation and, uh, and that this kind of technology would be able to, to develop further. But on the other hand as well, the concerns of the citizens when it comes to safety and when it comes to privacy and many other things. So within this frame, uh, Isabella, what, what was your, your idea? What, what is your idea about uh, in, in the specific story that you write for 2040 on the future of regulation on artificial intelligence? Yeah, thank you. I mean, as said, I'm, I've written a future history of the European Union, but really an utopian one, which was kind of the, the task to do. And the starting point is that in the 2030s, um, we developed quantum computers. Um, so we got really powerful AI-based uh, tech and apps, which optimize all of our lives. Right. And the problem is that by doing that, we lose chance and coincidence in our lives, which gives, I mean, spice to our everyday, to our everyday life. And also we lose problem solving competencies because the apps and the computers decide everything for us. Um, so, I mean, around in the mid 2030s, then there is a group of progressive tech forerunners, tech pioneers in Europe. And, and they are quite powerful. They have leverage and they come up with a manifesto and the manifesto states that we as humans, we need to make mistakes in order to be human. Mm. But also because since they are tech pioneers, they also believe that technological progress makes us human as well. And um, so they come up with the idea that we should um, integrate mistakes and errors, code errors into those systems. And they call this the embedded mismatch, because right now everything is about matching. Right. I mean, in your private life, in your professional life, it's always that you get the right match with um, AI systems and they integrate um, this systematic 
um, mismatch programmed malfunctions to kind of de-optimize our lives and make it more interesting. Hmm. And uh, first, there is a great opposition. There are great concerns that Europe even loses more ground towards the US, China, Russia. But then it becomes really a great um, social and economic success. And it's kind of the yeah history of, of, of success to make Europe flourish again. So it is kind of a bit of a mockery, um, kind of yeah mocking the... Um, regulative processes in the European Union. But um, I mean, it, 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 is, it is serious. So I wanted to make a serious point. And this is first to break out of these efficiency discourses when it comes to AI. Um, because right now we get this narrative that we need to be better, we need to be faster and trying to break out of this because what makes our life human and what makes our life um, flourishing and prosperous is not about optimization, but about, yeah, about coincidence and chances. And um, the other thing I wanted to break out is um, this narrative of an AI race and AI competition. Because right now we have this tale that we are in a global big AI war and we have to fight against China and be faster and be better than the US and I don't know what. And I'm kind of a social constructivist. And I also I had a workshop um, on, I mean, a workshop in the real world, not in the story. <laughs> and there was also representative, I mean, there were many representatives of um German ministries and there was one from the Ministry of Defense and it was so interesting because he couldn't even think about AI development in other terms than in kind of war and competition and hmm. risks and maybe I'm a bit naive but um, it's always good to have another perspective and maybe if you just think about it in one way it will also become true because you don't have any other space to think about it so yeah this is kind of the food for thought I wanted um, to deliver with the story. Amazing, amazing. Uh, some, somehow, I mean, to me, it comes to my mind as well a little bit the process that led to the GDPR, you know, like um, at the beginning, everyone was saying, oh my God, the GDPR is like constraining everyone and so on. And now, you know, once it has been in full force, it's becoming a worldwide standard and it's regarded as a contribution to ensure that the privacy of the citizens is secured at least at the level of the principles. So definitely I think that that your idea of the de optimization might be seen a little bit far-fetched at the first sight but uh, Maybe uh, at a closer at a closer look, you you might you might be more surprised than 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 it is than some something like that might happen in terms of of process in the future. And um, speaking about AI and uh, algorithms and and policy making, these are also the the clear themes uh, of uh, of Gianluca's uh, story, um, which starts with the idea that uh, I have to say it's kind of similar to um, the concept of Tinder politics, which uh, which I uh, discuss at length in in my novel in Disco Sour, where there is a Tinder-like app which replaces not only elections but the overall decision making in society and democracy. But uh, Gianluca, you, you elaborate even farther on, on, this, 
on this idea and uh, you, I, I, I like the way uh, you basically uh, move further into some sort of uh, theory of gamifi gamification around uh, around the use of apps in in decision making uh, processes and uh, it will be interesting to hear a little bit more about what you wrote yeah um yeah that's true actually my my starting point was making a comparison between what makes us satisfied as users of technology and what makes us normally unsatisfied when we deal with our administrations so now Think about any action you performed with your mobile phone or with your computer. And normally you will see that no matter what you have done, if you have ordered food, if you have, uh, I don't know, searched for information, booked a ticket, even try to search a partner, hmm? speaking of Tinder, well, the result is that the, 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 the whole experience is fast, is designed to please you, and is rewarding. So these Three things are uh, the basic of any interaction we have with technology. Actually, technological companies are competing in order to give us the most pleasing experience. Now, when you move to the interactions we have with our administrations, normally what you think is that it was time-consuming, you didn't realize that you really had a voice, or at least if you were participating, you never know exactly how you're going to impact And most of the time, the feedback is very poor. We know that, for example, in 2019, there were, and it's a very good number, 69% of European citizens that interacted at least once with the administrations of their countries through an online platform. But the result, when, when they were asked, okay, this was, was this interesting or not? They answered, no, most of the time, no, because exactly it was time-consuming, we had no feedback, and so on. So the question is, Can we design participation and democracy in a way that is uh, more attractive? And one answer is yes, through game design. Gamification, as you mentioned, consists of uh, having game elements, which are three, is a competition, rules, of course, and a reward, that are translated into uh, dealings with administration. I have written extensively on this topic as an academic, but that doesn't mean that I'm not critical. In fact, in my, in my contribution, I'm trying to give the more critical perspective. So I'm describing a government of uh, a near future in which everything has been gamified. So citizens to participate, they're awarded points, and these points are giving you um, a better social status. And by the way, your book was a big source of inspiration. Another one was, I think, the first episode of my favorite TV shows oh, ever. Black Mirror. Yes, Nosedive. Yeah. You know? yeah. So this this was, which is kind of happening mm -hmm. in China. No. Yeah. So, um, and I'm trying to to see, okay, what happens if this idea that we can gamify participation, it's actually not returning the results that we are expecting. That's pretty much what I'm what I'm trying to develop. And so we uh, arrive to a future without spoiling to the possible readers in which game uh, into politics, into policymaking is kind of abandoned because, and so it's at the end they realize maybe it's better to have boring interactions. We are not that at that level right now, but we are in a moment in which 
there is a lot of promise in this. There is a lot of promise in how to make more playful interactions with administration, but that comes with a cost. The cost is oversimplification. The cost is what happens if I get bored at playing, brackets, hmm, uh, which happens when we play video games. Now, if you play a video game, any kind of video game, after a while, even if because it's too difficult or it's too simple, you just get bored. So I was trying to have this perspective in my contribution. Okay, very, very interesting indeed. And uh, putting some of the issues that maybe uh, we are not so much familiar with because uh, having the, the lens of games uh, on, on this kind of, of stuff uh, brings the discussion a little bit in, a, in another level because usually we would look at uh, more from the data perspective and the use of privacy and what would you, I mean, what the people that would own the data or collect the data would do with the data of everyone but bringing it to the to this game uh, kind of situation basically you you point out to other risks that are embedded in this kind of uh, solutions which uh, one might not think at the first time so i mean bo both it, both your contributions are quite are quite thought provoking and uh, my my follow up question is just like how actually you you made in terms of format i mean i'm very curious in terms of storytelling what kind of format did you use um i know that for each of the story there was a different kind of uh, way of telling the story and uh Uh, even if they are short, they, they are really a collection of, uh, of disparate uh, uh, kind of material. So um, I was wondering, uh, what did you choose as, as a medium? Um, well, in my case, it was a choice by exclusion. I know as, as, as a big reader of novels that one of the most difficult things is to give the, the pace of a dialogue when you talk with someone. So you really you immediately realize when the, the dialogue that has been written by the author is very poor. It's, it, it doesn't look real. And I didn't want to engage with that. It's extremely difficult to give when you write the pace of a true debate. So I decided in my case to have something that I'm more familiar with. Uh, one is the, um, a newspaper article, actually two of those. And another one is actually a law decree. So you see, even if I was writing science novel, I was doing something that I do as a law scholar. So, uh, and combining these different formats, I could, on one hand, avoid what I was not feeling comfortable with, and at the same time, trying also to give to my readers uh, a different style. So they, they have the article, but they also have the, the law decree. Is so you, you kept the pace in the, in the reading. Exactly. Yeah. And Isa, what about you? Um, <clears throat> I um, made up a fictitious official European Union information service, which kind of tells yeah, the official historical happenings um, of the past and present of the European Union. Amazing. I, 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 want to, I want to work for this. I want to head this, uh, this uh, entity. It, it also could be all just propaganda. So I, I also included some, some um, fake source texts like the manifesto or some parts of the regulation or some quotes of um, politicians and stuff. And um, yeah, the question is actually 
I mean, who wrote this for this information service? I mean, because we all know that history is written by the winners. So maybe mm -hmm. it's all just made up, you know, that's the other level. Or maybe it was just an AI system, you know. So it leaves kind of space to think about who has written that. And right now, if you have official historical texts, so also to think about what's kind of the intention behind um, the author. Great. And uh, what about the other stories, uh, Bron Bronwyn? Um, well, most of them are short stories, I have to say. And then we have like more... Uh, experimental one, as um, Gianluca said, a newspaper article, um, but also magazine article. We have an email thread, thread or diary entries, and uh, also a theater play was written. Oh so, wow! Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's that's pretty impressive for a collection of uh, of scientists, uh, uh, you know, experimenting for the first time with uh, with the creative uh, with the creative side. Yes, very much so. And I mean, we didn't had any kind of expectation how this project will turn out. I mean, we were in the hope of ha having thirteen stories afterwards, but also the authors they came with ideas, but haven't thought of uh, formats yet or different kind of formats. And I think that was. Um, an important uh, step in the in the writing camp we put together in Klein Glien, um, and there we had uh, writing coaches who then opened up the opportunities mm. of different uh, of thinking uh, about different kind of writing styles and also formats to put these stories in. Great, great. So for our listeners, if they are if by now they got very curious about this uh, very experimental object in science communication and exploring the future of the continent whatever we want to call it you know i don't want to define it too much but if they're interested to get their hands on it um how how they can how they can read it well we put up a website um 2040.hiig.de and there you can find all the stories um as you can read them on the website and you can don download them as well. Also the whole book. So it's all open access on the website. And um, there will also be an opportunity of um, ordering the book over a um, book on demand service. But all the information about the project, also the introduction uh, chapter we wrote, will, everything will be on the, on the website. And the website address is in the show notes, so you can all access it very easily without having to take the pen and remember what we just said in terms of website address. So um, I would like to go towards the end of this episode. So uh, first of all, I would like to, to ask if you would like to add anything else about this amazing project that... Uh, that uh, is kind of a breakthrough for, for I would say, European methodology in, in science from one side and exploring the future and, and so on. You know, I don't know if you have anything, um, last words that you would like to convey to our listeners. Well, my, my very last word was that uh, Brown was already explaining how it worked, but the process to get to this point was truly amazing. We were for 
uh, a few days uh, in this place uh, far from Berlin, uh, closed in this place, and we were forced to write. So it was, the, the I would say, probably one of the reasons that made the result looking so, so good is that uh, we as academics, we always complain about not having enough time to work and write and reflect. And that was precisely what we were asked for. So please take your time to reflect, debate and write. So the coach that Bronwyn mentioned, she was kind of tough, but that was extremely helpful. So actually I had the most of my work done during those days. And so this is this to me, together with a book, of course, is the most um, interesting thing, my, my memory of this, of this uh, experience, the days that I spent uh, with, the, with other people, some of which became my, my friends uh, in, uh, in the outskirts of Berlin. Amazing. Um, thank you also, Bronan, uh, Isabella, do you want to add something to this? Yeah, sure. I mean, I can, yeah, I can uh, just agree on what um, Gianluca said. Um, this whole book would have never been come to life without this intense, I think it was five days, right? Five day workshop. And um, it's really not only about kind of this working sessions and the coaches, which were really cool and super important, but also talk to the other people about the themes and the topics, you know, during lunch and during dinner and with a glass of wine and just... Um, develop the stories together. I think I had a lot of talks with different other authors and we kind of exchanged our ideas and the format and the concept and what we could do. And you really see that this um, comes to comes to life with personal interaction. So, and this is another thing because it's about digital utopias, you know, but this project showed that, yeah, I mean, just personal interaction can be the most inspiring thing Um even though we have all those um, digital possibilities of communication. Amazing, amazing. Bronan, uh, you have been li a little bit the person that brought all of us together tonight. So I would like to thank you specifically for, for you know, the enthusiasm and the energy. It's, it's really not usual that uh, an academic institution is... Uh, embarking in such an experiment where you have so many variables that can go wrong uh, you know or where you cannot really control and i have to say that i'm, I'm pretty amazed about uh, about the, um, the the level of experimentation that that you have at your at the humboldt institute yeah thank you very much i mean it was an experience for us as well i mean this is like playing around and then unexpectedly succeeding. So this was really, really nice. Besides the book and our website, there are even more things to come. So we are also working on an exhibition uh, that will be launched this summer and will be shown with the Goethe Institutes around the world. And we also collaborated with the Film Universität Babelsberg. So two, two students uh, will do short episodes for each story. So little films and another one is working on an audio book, which could also be very interesting uh, for yeah the people that want to follow the project. So I would just uh, invite all our listeners to have a look to the website, read the stories and uh, basically uh, eventually contact and, and get feedbacks and, and spread around because uh, we need more of narratives for the future. We need more of narratives that 
looks at the possible utopias rather than possible dystopias. And this is very much uh, one of our main points in Europarama. So thank you so much for joining me in this episode. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. I want to remind our listeners that they can check more episodes of Europarama and other shows of uh, the Are We Europe podcasting family and more detailed information in uh, in the links in the show notes. And I am going to look forward next episode of Europarama. I don't know yet when it's going to be a next one, but stay tuned. And until next time, bye bye. <laughs>